One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. to episode 13 of The High Low, a weekly news and pop culture podcast hosted by writers Pandora Sykes and Dolly Alderton. We are now in the freaky 13th week. Dolly, are you superstitious? Yeah, horribly so. <laughs> horribly so. But I think people that are superstitious are just people that are secret control freaks. So I think if I do like a little ditty to a certain amount of magpies every time I see them, <laughs> then something brilliant will happen that day. Um, my yeah. mum is ridiculously superstitious to the point where mm, if so we have mine. 13 people for lunch or for dinner, there's a teddy sitting in a, four, <laughs> a 40, and we always have to say, hello, Mrs. Magpie, hello, Mr. Magpie. Yeah, we have to under do Under ladders, that. over ladders, under ladders. Yeah, my mum my mum will, like, sprint across rooms and squeal and, like, scream to take shoe, new pairs of shoes off tables She's completely yeah, yeah, insane yeah. with the it. The shoe one's quite a common one, though. Mm, I don't depends. do it. If I you're in America, that's just because they're anal. <laughs> it's not superstition. <laughs> so apologies in advance for the not-so-great recording today. Unfortunately, there is some heavy building work going on outside the studio. And Apparently, they don't want to be told that we're recording well, a pop- podcast. you know, we've, we've offered them Dolly's tits. They weren't... Inter- <laughs> I'm joking, we haven't. But we would, if it meant you could have a good would. record. Yeah. <laughs> This is what we'll do for you. So, yes, there'll be a bit of clattering in the background. But please, bear with us. Um, We missed a week last week. We had a week off, as uh, some of you will have noticed. Uh, In that time, sadly, again, there has been a horrible and vile terror attack. So our thoughts and prayers are with everyone affected by the attacks in London Bridge. Um, May we hope that this doesn't become a light motif mm. for the podcast that mm. we begin each one by offering thoughts and prayers it's a really really horrible situation so yeah um just thinking of everyone that has been affected all the victims and the victims families by the time you listen to this podcast we will all know who our prime minister is so we've decided Weird that isn't it i, I was know. on the tube this morning and everyone was looking really mellow and i was like oh i don't know i sort of thought there'd be like a ge 2017 vibe <laughs> Did you vote this morning? No, I haven't gone yet. I'm going to go after this. I voted this morning and because I've found... I'm not being cynical. I do think it's great that so many people are like, vote, it's important to vote. But I do (laughs) think... I'm not being cynical. I do understand that people have to vote. (laughs) No, no. But I have really noticed this time, and quite right so, because, you know, it is an important election, but I have noticed people being really like, I'm going to vote. Oh, purposeful. I'm the best. And so this morning... (laughs) Shouty voters. I took a photo of me outside the polling station with like a really goofy smile being like I voted give me a cookie (laughs) Um, so yeah by the time you listen to this uh, you'll will know who our prime minister is so we're not going to be those sorts of uh, podcasts are going to bleat on and on about how important it is to go and vote because if you haven't voted you won't have voted anyway yeah and uh, we aren't going to speculate about what the outcome will be because you'll already know and we probably know that the result will be the most predictable outcome Anyway, so we thought we would uh, give you some facts to cheer us all up, which is we thought we'd talk about some of the best UK political parties that have ever existed. (laughs) So I did some uh, light reading last night. First of all, there's the Church of the Militant Elvis Party. The Militant Elvis Party. which bizarrely is still in existence. The leader of the party is David Bishop, who also goes by the nicknames of Lord Byro and the Bus Pass Elvis. (laughs) The party is concerned with the depletion of the Amazon rainforest, climate change, all very valid, and the power of Tesco on the British High Street. (laughs) Hold on, so I thought it would be like something to do with the memory of Elvis. Nothing to do with Elvis, no. Right, okay. Um, And then there was the Miss Great Britain party, sadly no longer with us, founded in 2018, whose candidates were mostly women who had entered the Miss Great Britain beauty contest. And a part of me was like, oh, that's really brilliant. Only some... 
of them. But it's, I thought, oh, that's brilliant. It's about getting, you know, maybe people who wouldn't be as politically engaged, politically engaged. Yeah. And it's about, you know, challenging the way that we stereotype people. But the party claimed that its main purpose was to make Westminster sexy and not sleazy. I think that's perfectly valid. <laughs> so um, that was deregistered a year after its conception. Also now defunct, but staggeringly still on the register of political parties, is the Fancy Dress Party, formed in 1979 as a frivolous alternative to the mainstream electoral parties. I love the sound of the people who created this party. Their most famous policy was to use a smaller font size to automatically reduce unemployment statistics. I love it. Keynote policies include cutting police paperwork in making your own doily classes, rapidly building new schools using revolutionary inflatable <laughs> classrooms, making it easier for delinquent pupils to let the entire school down. It's is that basic, a pun? It's just puns. It's just puns. <laughs> Their entire manifesto is just puns. I thought the manifesto I will buy might into. be um, everyone had to cha-cha-cha like, <laughs> into, into work. And the one that really defines, for me my childhood was the monster raving loony party oh, I yes, just always yeah. remember that being a really big one and well, this Jimmy was the Goldsmith's pre- referendum party that was the precursor apparently the fancy dress party to the um, monster, monster raving, raving loony yeah, party yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about Wagamama with you love Wagamama and I've wanted to this has been building for quite some time so I wanted to wait oh, for I it to this. get to a pinnacle so I have rediscovered Wagamama mm-hmm. in the last six months in a way that is tantamount to unhealthy I think so I would say I'm there for a full meal twice a week. On your own? Sometimes on my own. My mum would be so Sometimes jealous. Sometimes flatmate. Does she, she love Wagamama? Yeah, yeah. When she goes, she, said, I'm, she says, I'm coming up to London, let's go out for dinner. And I'm like, shall I meet you in High Street, Ken, on a long bench in Wagamama? <laughs> That's her absolute dream. And the problem is, your mother and I should I love have I more do love dinners Wagamama. together. Because people are so snobby about Wagamama. And really? Yes, they are. Yeah. Yeah, the only person who'll go with me is India, and India and I go every single weekend now. I went to uh, the Wagamama in Hampstead, and it was after I'd been work. I hadn't slept. I'd had like two hours sleep, and I'd been working all through the night. And I just kept thinking and eating of apples as well. The Wagamama just yeah. My last week when I was on this huge deadline, Dolly's eating list rather than shopping list was the most extraordinary thing that Ollie and I have ever read. It was like a whole packet of corn sausages. Fine, we all like a meat feast or a non-meat feast. Um, but then five apples. And Ollie was like so worried about the acid. He was worried stomach. about my acidity. He was really yeah. worried about your acidity. And 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 Dolly tried to type that it, it, she'd had them all in an hour. So she basically had an apple every 10 minutes. But instead she just wrote, I had an apple every 10 minutes. <laughs> Do you know what? It was a dark week that, that week. That was an interesting mental picture, Dolly. Apples and minges. It was live, a dark live week. Home. Do you know why? It's because I just couldn't, I didn't want to leave the house. And so I was like, I need to eat some green and some roughage, but I don't Apples want to Apples aren't roughage. Oh, God. Now I tell you. <laughs> anyway, so my thing in my head, I was like, this will be my big treat, will be to go to Wagamama. Went to yeah. Wagamama, routine maintenance in Hampstead. All very tragic. So I decided to walk like three miles <laughs> to the next Wagamama. Then I got there. Do you know what they've taken off the menu? Carré Loman. Oh, that's it. No, okay. So that's a big story. <laughs> I always get like. We'll leave, we'll leave it to uh, Charlie to decide <laughs> our producer. Which Carrie is Loman the most... just sounds like a seventies Hollywood actress. Carrie Loman was like a, it's like a lemongrass soup. Oh right. Is anyway, God, the TV so and film rights are still available for that story. Charlie can decide which bits are the most interesting. <laughs> so that's been my week. I just read a brilliant book, which I will pop onto my Goodreads shelf. Do you know what I realised, by the way? We've got so many people friending us on Goodreads, which is amazing. I've got no idea what that entails. Perhaps it means that you now have access to my whole phone. I've just been, like, blindly accepting everyone. But I realised that on Goodreads, the best thing about it is that you can leave a star, how many stars, oh, cool. and, and, and a review, which means we currently have about 135 stars and reviews to write, because all we've done yeah, is list. all we've listed. We well. haven't actually used Goodreads to its magnificent um, ability. And just so, you know, we're still having people asking us about the username for that we are the high low show on goodreads it's literally as simple as that anyway i just read a book called the awkward age by francesca segal it was um uh shortlisted for the costa book prize or whatever it's called which is actually really um it's prestigious yeah Yeah. i know it's funny isn't it because costa coffee is disgusting um so the awkward (laughs) age by francesca segal i really want you to read that and i'm reading a great book of short stories which you know are my faves um called the dinner party very cynical, very sad, but um, really, really good. I who's think that, you'd... who's that by? Joshua Ferris. 
I think oh, you'd really I've like got that. a copy of it. Yeah, I'll, have you? Yeah, I'll read the, that. I'm also really psyched because not only is House of Cards back, but Orange Is the New Black is back tomorrow. Never watched an episode. You would really like it. It's so feminist. Okay, I just don't. I find it. I, I get so obsessive. I'm quite tentative about standing on the edge of a box set. I was about to start watching Mad Men, and I just thought, no, that will no, be the you'll summer love gone. Or, you'll love Orange Is the New Black. Okay, you'll love I'll it. I'll give it a whirl. Sophie Wilkinson's obsessed you'll love with it. it as well. On a on a slightly uh, on the on the low end of the high lows cultural consumption, Ollie and I went to see uh, Baywatch. <laughs> so, what did you mean by that? As in, has there been a remake? Yeah, there's a film out of who with The Rock. Who else? Um... <laughs> Uh, uh, Zac Efron who genuinely looks like he's had Kendall surgery who's Pammy Andy Pammy Andy is this like gorgeous blonde girl called Kelly Rawback who has been doing the necessary rounds in GQ Esquire etc but the funny thing is is how funny her predecessor is now like Pammy Andy doesn't she does she she has an appearance does she she just shakes her mane around in slow-mo it's amazing but they do the slow-mo and everyone else is in normal mo so how was so they're like so do you know what at the the beginning i thought oh my god this is the worst film i've ever seen but then i realized it knows it's terrible right and it's so happy to be terrible that you're then happy so it's kind of self-awareness i mean yes i wouldn't say it needed to be a murder mystery crime thriller Jesus Christ, I'm not going <laughs> to it. But it was quite that, funny. Think. So that was at the low end. And um, something I've been watching that I want you to watch is Paula, starring Denise Goff on BBC Two. It's a three-parter. Denise Goff and Tom Hughes, we've had two so far. The third is last night, depending on when you're listening to this. The third is on Thursday. It is absolutely brilliant. It's like the BBC at its best. It's like, you know, if you What's love it? any of those... Um, it's re- it's just really creepy. It's about a woman called Paula who gets entangled with a man who proves to be more and more dangerous, played by Tom Hughes. It's brilliant. Oh God, I don't like. Do you know why I don't like those? Why? I think that I'm prime for a sort of dastardly figure to take me for a ride. You're prime for a Paula. Yeah, as in I always. It's the same when you listen to the Archers and there's like a woman who likes a man fools. Well, I'm um, just worried that's my fate. Uh, like Willoughby in Sense of Sensibility well, Paul is a chemistry teacher you're not so we're off to a strong start okay fine I can watch it <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got another book that I want you to read desperately want you to read it's by Lynn Barber who's one of our favourite journalists she's an interviewer for the Sunday Times and she is I think the best interviewer alive yeah she's very very good I, I learnt through her Desert Island Disc which is my favourite ever episode of Desert Island oh, Disc punchy ever. given that it's your like absolute number no, no, one I think, in it, I think it's the perfect formula anyway she says in it that she wrote a book when she was 28 called How to Improve Your Man in Bed god was she Dolly Alderton so I was desperate obviously exactly I was like oh that's interesting she wrote that at my age I'm, I think she was just married I was really interested in tracking it down and it's really hard to find and I finally found um, a copy and I'm going to read you a tiny bit of it not because I'm not dredging out Lynn Barber's past and saying oh isn't it hilarious that she wrote this stuff because I would hate for someone to do that when I'm older because you know the guff that I've written but this I think it's more a sign of the times a sign of the 70s which I just love so there's a checklist at the back that says a few more suggestions for improving your sex life keep fit get slim have a hairdo, buy a waterbed, invite a girl to join you, read a dirty book, use nasty four-letter words when you're making love, buy a vibrator, take the pill, think sexy thoughts, change the sheets regularly. There's something here about a waterbed. What, the sheets on the waterbed? Um, plat flowers in your pubic hair. Plat flowers in your pubic hair? This is my favorite. What, whilst also using the vibrator? That would be a I think travesty. it's more like you do it in preparation. Tease him and play the tart. <laughs> Hide the Tampax. <laughs> She's got plenty in common with Jilly Cooper. Jilly Cooper could have written this. Invest in a bidet. What? To keep Rouge your nipples. <laughs> Buy a frothy negligee or an Arab caftan. <laughs> have you Instagrammed this? Yes, yes. I Please Instagram Rouge your nipples. That's my Rouge it's your so nipples funny. and plat 
flowers into your pubic hair. How big are these flowers? I mean, it was the 70s. Bushes were probably well, gino. But you like, know what? It what had, are we talking sunflowers? I had, um, I was thinking that. I think it Peonies? might be more maybe like petals. I'm very aware that I don't want it to seem like I'm taking the piss out of her because I think it's it's not really... Look, if anyone can take it, Lynn Bob again. <laughs> well, I think, what's, I think what's so funny is that it's definitely... An, yeah, it's a sign of the time. It's an insight into young suburban sex, sexuality in the 70s. But have you ever read any of Julie Cooper's... Um, uh, column in the 70s for a newspaper as a newly married housewife yes I have oh, that's I what I mean they, they, they're they very different beasts now but yeah. back then I think they sound quite similar yeah. um, have you also been watching The Handmaid's Tale oh yeah addicted it's absolutely brilliant and it okay if you haven't watched it um, I'm ashamed to say I never read Margaret Atwood's book I think it came out in 1985 I have ordered it I don't know how it passed me by I did English literature it's awful I haven't read it anyway um, I'm ashamed I haven't read it either. well I think we must both read yeah, it we should. I thought it was about because I'd always heard that it had a lot in common with Chaucer and I was so bored of studying Chaucer and his bloody detachable genitals it's always <laughs> there was always like always <laughs> stories of women carrying like baskets of dicks and men like stealing detachable vaginas and obviously it always had like sexual commentary or political or cultural commentary and I was like I can't be bothered with any more um, mobile genitals Chaucerian 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 bollocks, Chaucerian bollocks. <laughs> um, but it's so scary because it's about for anyone that hasn't um, seen it um, we're not giving anything away but it's about a dystopian society where it's sort of neo-Christian cult where mm, women it's based on the Old Testament it's, where women don't have any rights yes, they're just yes. baby makers and um, Elizabeth um, what's she called that actress she was a madman Elizabeth Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss. Thank, thank you, you, Charlie. Charlie. Elizabeth <laughs> Moss is um, amazing in it. And Alexis, Alexis Liddell, Liddell, you know, she was in um, Gilmore Girls. It's, the it. reason it feels and so... And Joseph Fiennes, there's loads of great people in it. It feels so timely at the moment. A lot of people are actually saying, Marianne Keyes was tweeting, saying, I actually can't watch this right now when you think about um, no. policies being yes. passed in Trump's America because it's all about control of women's bodies and policing mm. of women's bodies mm. basically that's that's what mm. it's about it's beautifully made and yeah I think every woman should be watching yeah. it I literally if it was on Netflix I would have cancelled this podcast to watch it <laughs> I absolutely would have sorry sponsors I'd also like to extend congratulations this week to George and Amal Clooney on the birth Aww. of their twins. Um, I believe they're called Alexander and Ella, but I may have made up the girl's name. I'm only sure of the boys. <laughs> but I, what I really enjoyed is that his dad had did an interview. I don't know who with, but he did it via telephone and it's kind of gone all over various news outlets and I listened to him saying George is going to be a fantastic father Amal's going to be a fantastic mother she already is actually a fantastic mother George has certainly married up Oh, how great is that we're his... so used to her being subjugated as a human rights lawyer yes as, as his as his like butte but side piece yeah and I yeah, love ass, and yeah. I love him being like Actually, he's the lucky one in this scenario. And he is. Yeah, and also, when you, again, I'm going to bleat on about it, his Tessa Island discs. He talks about... <laughs> I his, haven't listened to that one. It's incredible. What year? And he talks about, it was in the 90s, okay, and Sue Lawley practically throws her knickers at him. <laughs> and keeps calling him George after every sentence. Um, but he talks uh, about his father, and I didn't realise that his father is a very politically active man. And they have their relationship... He's quite hungry. I've seen a picture of him. Their relationship is entirely founded on um, activism and campaigning and speaking out and they say it sounds like both of them are really upstanding men I think amazing yeah. now it's time for the top line presented this week by Dolly Alderton I like that we've changed this into a bit of a game show <laughs> segment for those of you unfamiliar the top line is a 90 second segment where Dolly or I race to tell you 10 pieces of bite sized news from around the world Naomi Alderman has won the Bailey's Women's Prize for Fiction for her feminist sci-fi novel, The Power. It is her fourth book that explores themes of power, violence and gender. Lauren Child, children's author and the new children's laureate, has voiced concerns that boys don't like reading books that have girls as the main characters and that makes it harder for girls to be equal. McDonald's have teamed up with cult Japanese retailer Beams to create a line of t-shirts, bags, phone cases and hats. To celebrate this collaboration, McDonald's will also be selling 300 jars of its Big Mac sauce. Four. (laughs) 
The Sun has reported that Ariana Grande and her team got bee tattoos after the One Love concert backstage by Manchester Inc. as a tribute to the city and those involved in the recent terror attack, as the bee has long been a symbol of Manchester and its industrial past. A surfer said he fought with a small shark after being bitten off Bantham Beach in South Devon. Mr. Thompson said the shark, estimated about three foot long, grabbed him on the leg and his hand was cut to pieces. The Women's Equality Party has received an overwhelming number of terrifyingly aggressive threats over the past week, with one of its candidates, Nimco Ali, being sent a letter of racist abuse signed Joe Cox after the Labour Party MP was murdered near her constituency office last summer. A Luton maths teacher who allowed pupils to settle disputes during out-of-hours wrestling sessions, which he charged £20 for, has been banned from teaching. Bumble, the female-led dating app, is launching its first pop-up bar called The Hive in New York, where you can meet your matches in real life. Lord Sugar, in response to Corbyn supporters accusing him of encouraging people not to vote Labour so he can pay less tax, has posted a photo of a cheque he paid in tax this January for over £58 million. A harassment investigation as taxi app company Uber has led to more than 20 staff being fired. The sackings related to sexual harassment, bullying and issues about poor company culture were sparked after a former employee published her experience of working there in a blog post condemning their treatment of women. I read that post, did you? Yeah, I did as well. Yeah, I'm glad that they followed that up. I'm glad women aren't being ignored anymore when you know I'm glad that that was I think uh, yeah I think there were a million stories written from a million I think it's really easy for um startups like Uber and Facebook and YouTube and you know a lot of these for people to be like oh my god there are all these horror stories um there are but I think in any gigantic company that's doing something pioneering there are horror stories do you know what I mean I don't I don't think it's limited to Uber and Facebook I think you could probably find it in so yeah. many companies. But I just think it's so important that, you know, these these that oh, woman has had the bravery to speak yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What speaking. I mean is I just don't think she's alone. I just think, no, she, no, pla- I agree. I think she had a platform to put it there. I agree. And um, also that she, because a lot of people would think, and I understand that, I'm not going to be... I'm not yeah. going to go through all this hell, probably not to be believed by anyone for it yeah. to be followed up. So this is a great story of triumph. I love that Ariana Grande and her team got bee tattoos after the One Love concert. I, um, I mean, what a month it's it's been for them. And also, I really enjoyed that. I know it's obviously really bad, but I really enjoyed the Luton maths teacher charging Hilarious. 20 quid for, for wrestling matches between pupils. I know, I know. I how did it. he think that was going to end? I know. Also, how did those teachers ever think that those kids, kids are the biggest blabbermouths aren't going to go and tell their parents. We have some very exciting news this week. This is um, a world exclusive. Dolly and I have been beavering away behind the scenes um, with a brand new sponsor. This is our biggest brand alignment yet and it's one that we feel really proud of, don't we? Because yeah. it's just, it's kind of a dream for us, actually. And also, like, genuinely is one of our favourite brands, full stop. Which so is so great because yeah. it's, it's, it's not like we have to sit here being like, we love Foot Locker. Yeah, <laughs> Squatty Posse. That's on all the American podcasts do and they're going on about like, now I actually know how to expel waste. <laughs> anyway, so... um We are so excited to announce our new sponsor. We are now working with NARS, the makeup brand that Dolly and I have loved ever since we could afford proper slap, uh, which gives us a legit excuse to dedicate a segment each episode to all things NARS. I wanted to kick off our sponsorship with Radiant Creamy Concealer because it is my number one Desert Island product. It's my hero product, in fact, something I cannot leave the house without, even when I'm wearing no other makeup. And it introduced me to NARS. It real me in you could say um i actually get nervous if i don't have creamy concealer on me even more excitingly so it already comes in a square tube and it now has a new sibling in a little pot the soft matte complete concealer which is kind of slightly waxier more durable Mm. coverage it launched early this year and it's the only thing i'm wearing on my face right now um and it's just brilliant whenever you have a nicely timed bout of summer acne sacne (laughs) both radiant creamy and soft matte complete concealer ring in at 23 pounds also can i say something about creamy concealer i have very dry skin and it's the only concealer that doesn't make me scaly like a lizard. <laughs> yeah, sorry for not asking your opinion earlier. <laughs> Since we last met, Prince William's cover interview with GQ magazine has come out. Um, I was amazed to rip open Ollie's GQ subscription. I don't wait for him to do it himself. <laughs> to see that... Uh, um, Prince William was on the cover. 
He's been interviewed by Alistair Campbell, who does the magazine's kind of big, you know, it's like the big Alistair Campbell interview. Is it the Alistair Campbell? Yeah. Blair's former spin doctor um, is the interviewer and he's actually brilliant he's a bloody good interviewer Um, so whatever your feelings on him maybe or even the questions he asks he's very very good Uh, so I was really surprised to see um, that Prince William had agreed to an interview with him because Alistair is a staunch Republican so I thought that was pretty cool and William obviously did the interview as kind of his leg of publicity to promote the mental health charity that him, Catherine and Harry um, are ambassadors for called Heads Together. I think it's a sort of tit for tat in that um, Harry famously did to great aplomb Brani Gordon's Mm. podcast. Um, So there are some excerpts online, although I strongly advise you to buy the magazine because the best bits are in the magazine. Um, He talks about, well, he talks about a lot of things. He talks about mental health. He talks about the experience of his mother dying as a teenager and the subsequent grief. He talks about how he deals with his role of celebrity and how it differs from his mother's treatment of the media. That's Um, very interesting, I think, his thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm just going to read you a little excerpt Alistair Campbell um, he does not pander to him he does not pull any punches he asks about Princess Diana and William says the complete salacious appetite for anything anything at all about her even if there was no truth in it whatsoever and Alistair Campbell goes so you don't have any sympathy with the argument that she cultivated her friends in the media and fed them the whole thing and he says I have been exploring this remember I was young at the time I didn't know what was going on I knew some games and shenanigans were played But she was isolated. She was lonely. Things within her own life got very difficult. She found it hard to get her side of the story across. I think she was possibly naive. She ended up playing into the hands of some bad people. This was a young woman with a high-profile position, very vulnerable, desperate to protect herself and her children. I feel strongly that there was no responsibility taken by media executives who should have stepped in and said, morally, what are we doing? Is this right? Is this fair? Is this moral? Harry and I were so young, and if she'd lived, this is heartbreaking, I think if she had lived when we were older, we'd have played that role. I feel very sad and very angry that we were not old enough to be able to do more to protect her not wise enough to step in and to do something that could have made things better. I think that a lot of people should have been held to account for that. So he absolutely steps back and Mm. sees his mother, not just as his mother, but... As a whole flawed, vulnerable human being. And he admits that her, you know, her her relationship with the media was, was a problematic one and that they couldn't just be... It wasn't kind of a... It wasn't just all on them. And it's actually really interesting because I've been reading the Diana Chronicles by Tina Brown. Um, Now, Tina Brown is the journalist... Tina Brown is a journalist whom the Hilo is named in tribute to. Mm. She coined the term Hilo germ- journalism in the 80s. And Tina Brown was just like an absolute kind of wunderkind, or however you say that word, wunderkind. Um, she edited Vanity Fair, the New Yorker. She edited Tatler, age 25. Anyway, it's the 20th anniversary of the Diana Chronicles. So they've been re-released with a foreword by the broadcaster, Andrew Marr. And I just wanted to read you again a little bit about what he said about Princess Diana, because... I was, I think, nine when Princess Diana died. So it's, she died on my birthday. Did she? Yeah. It's not a culture of celebrity that we we lived through. So it's only no. reading this book that I am absolutely plunged. And oh my god, you're gonna love it, Dolly! Plunged into like eighties slowny pony political Britain, and it's just absolutely brilliant. So he writes here. The newspapers, this is when Diana, you know, became princess, the newspapers were much more powerful. Well before the forced closure of the news of the world, if anything epitomised this last hurrah, it was Diana's tumultuous love affair with the camera and the tabloids. Briefly a victim, she was drawn into a vortex of exploitation before blossoming from puppet into puppeteer. And then there's one other bit that I thought was really great. No fallible human should ever have been the glossy receptacle of so much panting expectation. Any real person subjected to the hot adoration of her tens of millions and the frantic insistence that you understand me would melt into a puddle of exhaustion or a cloud of hysterical laughter. Some of what happened was the fault of the public. We treated her as a Botticelli heroine, as a painted representation of ideal womanhood. And that's something that William says as well, that when him and Harry were walking behind her coffin, and Alistair kind of really like prods him he says I don't know how you didn't cry I would cry if I was walking after my mother and William said you have no idea what it was like with people 
baying, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. sobbing, hysterical tears for my mother, and who, she was yeah, my mum. Who they didn't know. Yeah. It's anyway, both the interview and the I book think are absolutely amazing. I think it's interesting because I have always, and I've been guilty of, of doing this, I have, I've always thought of Prince William and Kate Middleton, particularly as those two members of the royal family, to be a bit bland and to kind of hold themselves back and not give much of themselves to the public. And I think that's because I don't really understand that vortex, that Diana vortex that you talked about. You know, an editor that Pandora and I both worked under, Jackie, said that when she worked at the Daily Mail for, for years and years and years, she said all that coloured that time. She said every day, Diana, 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 well, that's Diana. why it's called the Diana Chronicles. Yeah, and, she, and I think that we don't understand no. what that must have been. And I think when you read more and more about it and when you think about the fact that many people do believe that she died at the hand of the media because of a exploitative but also consensual toxic relationship some believe that Mm. you do understand the reticence of young royals now and you do understand in a post-Diana world why Prince William and Kate Middleton behave the way that they do And and I think he sounds like a very intelligent sensitive compassionate and grounded person he addresses and do you know what whatever faults prince charles has with all of his mad letters to uh, parliament um they've obviously been brought up well by him um you regardless of whether you're a royalist or republican uh i don't think you can when you see them doing their various charitable deeds and they do they have a full-time job as mm-hmm. the ambassadors of the charities they work for you know they have a genuine charm but that he uh, William um, talks about what you were saying a little bit in the interview where he says I'm an incredibly private person and I am sort of as private because I saw what happened with my mother and Catherine and I want to bring up our children in a completely different way we don't want to bring them up in a bubble we want them to be able to experience real life Mm -hmm. so we have to have this kind of he doesn't say it, but it's what's implicit is we have to have this quite dull but cordial relationship with the media because yes. we want our children to, you know, I mean, they're always going to have security. They're never going to be safe, want a better word. But what is very interesting in the book as well, something else that I think we forget, is that she was so young. Oh, she's a baby. She was 19 mm. when kind of her and Charles first first met and he was 31, a confirmed bachelor. And what is really interesting that you learn through the book is not only... Did he never stop his love affair with Camilla? It happened before either of them got married. Her and her husband um, cheated on each other rampantly, we learn. They had an open relationship. So her relationship with Charles never, ever, ever stopped. From what from this book, this book suggests. And but also Diana, from, from many interviews, that Martin, famous Martin Bashir interview. Yes, I know, because those, those excerpts are amazing. But what's really interesting is that Tina posits... Or, or says kind of she doesn't pull any punches she's not rude but she doesn't pull any punches she, Tina posits that um, Diana knew this but she knew what she wanted she wanted Charles as her husband um, and she was with, not without complications and it's it's just a very hum, human and unbelievably well rigorously researched you know she interviewed over 250 people for that book oh, wow. anyway so it's been recently re-released with an Andrew Marr forward um, that I saw was in the Telegraph a few weekends ago actually as an article on its own um, and I really suggest reading it uh, just only because also it makes you realise that not makes you realise but you know the royal family are humans too and both Diana and Charles were did not really grow up with parents in situ they were both um through different mediums fairly Diana's mother was um, kicked out of her own house by Diana's father you know she saw Frances Shand kid she's called she saw her once a year from the age of sort of six she never came home again so you you know the the tough times in these aristocratic families Mm. and a lot of parental neglect uh, when Pandora told me she was reading this, immediately I said to her, you've got to watch this Keith Allen <laughs> documentary. As in Lily Allen's father. Lily Allen's father made this completely insane documentary, which was showed it can, I think. And every time it's put for it to be watched available online in England, immediately it's taken down. It's like illegal to watch it here. That basically is like <laughs> this bonkers, conspiratorial, but very convincing documentary that literally proves he says that Prince Philip killed 
Princess Diana. It reminds me of when um, BuzzFeed circulated about a year ago this unbelievably persuasive conspiracy theory that Louis from One Direction actually hadn't had a baby and it was a doll and they showed all the ways that the doll had been photoshopped and obviously a year later you can see him carrying his baby out and about but you read it and by the end you were convinced that you know no one was actually human because they'd done this amazing you could see it sort of through the ages you should try and track down this Keith Allen thing if you can if you can though it's hard it will be a hard treasure hunt to find it online but it's worth it I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There is a new anthem and video for the body positivity movement. Miss Eves, the singer known as Shantani Exum, has released a new song from her upcoming album Feminasty called Thunder Thighs. It is a celebratory and joyful, uh, cellulite-loving, uh, witty ode in favour of chub-rub thick thighs and thunder thighs. And it's had already had hundreds and thousands of views and lots of women have said it's their summer anthem. So I watched the video. It's not my kind of catchy tune (laughs) I have to be honest there's been a lot of um, commentary around it I would implore you to watch the video because I think it's really interesting I think you know it's one of those things in pop culture that's definitely being watched a lot not necessarily because the song is amazing but because of the kind of intent and the the commentary around it so Jezebel calls um, Thunder Thighs the feel good video of the summer and they interviewed um, the Brooklyn based Miss Eves about her album. She said that Feminasty is an exploration of my feminist feelings and sexuality covering themes like female masturbation, men telling me to smile, Tinder fuck buddies and shaking off internet trolls. But what was really interesting underneath, and I think this really encompasses the full weight, pun sort of intended, of the debate, um, were the comments. Um, And I just wanted to read out a few because I imagine they will kind of mirror a lot of the reactions that people will have to the video um, and to this kind of idea of body positivity and what it means now. So comment one, I sure wish we'd had this stuff back in the 80s. When I was a teen, there was one message and that was thighs must not touch, otherwise you are subhuman. Comment two, are there any members of the Jezebel community that don't agree with body positivity when it's glamorising women that are so clearly overweight that they're destined for health problems? Or are you guys behind being proud and confident as we dance our fat asses into the morgue? No doubt some of the women in that video, while fat, are still at a fairly healthy weight. And I'm happy to see more of this diversity in the media, but I'm concerned that young impressionable kids are going to feel like this gives them carte blanche to clog their arteries, get diabetes and destroy the aesthetic integrity of our public places. Comment three. I sometimes struggle with comprehending the more radical fat is beautiful campaigning because it often strikes me as futile. It is not just fat. It is anything that contradicts the body norm, like a set of crooked teeth like mine. Even if fashion and magazine industries co-opt these things, it will just be a passing fad on an otherwise perfect body like a model with vitiligo. I think comment three is probably talking about the model Winnie Harlow right there. I'm really interested by this comment particularly the last one because I think we do often see models or public figures fetishized for their point of difference and you just know that it's not going to last it immediately made me think of um this trans model Andre Pejic who three years ago or so was like the model of the year you know but left right and center until he lost in inverted commas his point of difference um and he fully transitioned into a woman and became Andrea Pejic. And it was like his USP had gone and I hardly see Andrea modelling anywhere now. I think that's a really very good point. And I think you do have to ask whether they're being fetishised and celebrated and held up for their true beauty. In, for, for both of those cases that you mentioned is abundant or whether it's for brands to garner favour with mm. completely temporary diversification and phony virtue signalling. 
But then a part of me is like, does it even matter? Does it? Does the ethos... Obviously, I don't want people to be discarded, but in terms of seeing them on campaigns and on catwalks, does it matter what the ethos and machinations is of those of the people it's that are still trying to sell a product? It's still, it's still normalising their beauty, which is perhaps something to be joyful about. I don't know. I definitely believe in platforming. I think we should see representations. What I find slightly more problematic with videos like Thunder Thighs or when um, Megan Trainer did that video all about that base, you know, and she talks about um, skinny bitches or something or like thin mean girls. There's something in that that I remember when that came out also had a lot of controversy, which mm. was... Um, is the message here that there's one body type that's right and one that's wrong, one that's nice and one that's mean kind Mm. of thing. And what I just find slightly problematic with this is that I agree with platforming, but sometimes the um, narrative around it, I feel, as you say, can be disingenuous. Just, you know, like, oh, let's diversify the platform. I don't think this is disingenuous at all, but I do find the whole idea of owning something rather than accepting it really problematic. Um, Sometimes I think that in this kind of drive to be diverse and more PC, we end up with this quite kind of crass way of trying to pretend that we love everything ugly about ourselves. You know, like when you see those like really awful adverts where it's like, I love myself for my faults. And it's like, but do you? Do you love yourself for your faults? So I kind of find that the the idea of owning something rather than just accepting it problematic. So I own my cellulite. I have it on my thighs and my bum when I clench looks like cottage cheese. I own it by (laughs) dint of it being on my own body. But do I own it in that kind of righteous girlfriend way? No, I don't. And I don't think that should be seen as unfeminist for me to say, I wish I didn't have cellulite. I would prefer not to have cellulite. Um, But I do have it and I accept that I have it but I don't necessarily see why I should have to try and make that one of the best things about me and does that make me non-body Well I I think what you're saying which I agree with is is we mustn't demonise these. We only think it's a flaw because society has told us it's a flaw. So that's why we shouldn't demonise ourselves. But we also don't have to be defined by it. And I think... That's what, sorry, that's yeah. the word I was looking for when I was like trying not to fall into a hole where I was going to get people shouting at me. No, but I you, completely understand you know, what you're where saying. It's, it's the accepting and kind of owning. Yes. And I think, you know, I have two thoughts about body positivity. The first is that it is a wonderful and helpful thing we only ever really see and have only seen one type of body for a long time we see it everywhere it makes women believe that their body is made wrong it makes women feel ashamed of their body it makes women feel negatively about their body and then you know bodies become a preoccupation and they don't want to exercise or have sex or dance or be in the workplace it ruins confidence and cuts off experiences of life and also it can make as we know women go for very dangerous measures to try and emulate this body they see everywhere when really we should just be grateful and in tune and listening to our bodies whoever we are male or female um, because they are the vehicle that carries us through life and they take us on travels and adventures and they can self-heal and they self-regenerate and you can make babies and make love with that you know it's a wonderful thing to celebrate them but on the other hand, there's the Helen Neonius theory, which is... So Helen Neonius is a journalist. Who, <laughs> I love that. That's Everyone's going to be like, what's that theory? I never studied that in physics. <laughs> now, Helen said this once, and I always borrow this theory because it really struck a chord with me, where she said women are still... It's still the other end of the spectrum where women are still obsessing and being defined by their physical being. That's the thing. And You're she's, still yeah. defining. You're just defining a different body type it's still putting the emphasis on a bum exactly exactly and she said you know I feel like we know so many women you know me included as a size 12 woman we know so many women who've had to come out and and have an opinion on their boobs or their stomach or their cellulite or their you know they've got to have some sort of relationship with it and she said how many chubby blokes do you know and I think we all know a lot of chubby blokes and she said how many of them have you ever heard in the pub or coming out in a magazine saying that they feel they have some oneness with their you know beer belly that they have some sort of love affair 
with their you know big wobbly thighs they don't have to because that's embarrassing and infantilizing and they just don't need to and i think i'm all for body positivity but i also hope that we won't need it for the long-term future i'm hoping that our great great granddaughters won't have to come out and have any opinion at all on bits of their body whether they love them or hate them they can just inhabit they can just inhabit it and their body is just there by dint of them existing maybe we won't have bodies anymore Ooh. Um, there's this kind of ghastly ghastly named subtext I feel like you're going to hate the name of this Dolly called body posy bloggers oh yeah I know so bit, yeah. Yeah, I hate the word posy for positive <laughs> so body plazy body but god chance it body posy bloggers um, so at the moment there's this drive to reclaim your stomach outline so I read this article on Teen Vogue um where it's basically encouraging people to wear clothes that show off their belly bulge, for want of a better word. And it's a trend on Instagram as well. And it's just this idea that you like frame your, you know, the softness. You know how you have that kind of soft softness mm. in your belly? Mm. It's to frame the softness of the belly, not mm. to hide, hide it. Like yeah. It's like the anti-spanx. I don't know if I believe in it necessarily and I don't think it's any healthier than framing a flat gym honed stomach both of these attitudes whether or not you're showing off your abs saying I did this in just six weeks or you're showing off your belly bulge saying um this is me and you know I'm proud of this or whatever it's both are great great for you for going to a gym great for you for being proud of your sorry I can't believe I keep saying belly bulge but I can't think of any, <laughs> I don't think any way it's set but both of them fetishize an area that is typically problematic on women I mean hello president of babes who blow speaking right now um, both attitudes I think give off this air of doing something really altruistic like I'm doing this for you guys I'm letting you know that you can feel XYZ about your stomach but ultimately it, it's still focusing on this body part rather than leaving it to just be and there's there's just too much kind of obsessing wholesale and I'm really sorry I don't see belly framing taking off like I don't I hate the idea of a beach body and I thought it was great when Sadiq Khan pulled Protein World's ad last summer or was it the summer before where she's in that yellow bikini and it's like get beach body ready body ready yeah. I think that's great because who wants to stare at that at 8am when they haven't even had a coffee but I actually don't think that it's inherently evil I think that if you want to get beach body ready you shouldn't feel ashamed of getting beach body ready and if you have a belly bulge and don't want to get beach body ready you shouldn't feel ashamed of that either but I don't know why we have to come out and you're it seems like you're either like fitspo or mm. your body posy and um, I, I'm I, not going to be doing either <laughs> I think it's the problem is is that there's such a discrepancy between an encouragement of getting beach body ready and an encouragement of accepting belly bulge which is now this weird shorthand we've given it so I understand why it exists now and I think it's important to exist now and I think when I was a teenager if I'd seen those pictures online I would have found it very comforting and very cheering and would have made me feel much better about myself so I think that's wonderful but I really hope that this isn't the world forever that I, I, I think I hope this is a short-term solution I think I think what I to kind of to alter public consciousness I think what I slightly struggle with as well is that I don't reason why I don't see it taking off is because I don't see what's aspirational about it. It's relatable, but it's not aspirational. The idea of getting like, like I, I never do it, but the idea of going to the gym and feeling fit and healthy when you're in a bikini is you can see the aspiration in that. The relatability of a belly bulge is is a non, is you know, it cannot be argued. Of course it is. But the reason why I, I think I find it a bit trite or crass or disingenuous is because I don't really believe that, it's something to aspire to. I think it's aspira- I think it's something to be okay with. I but- think it's aspirational to accept and love your body, and I think ninety percent of yes, women I that's know true. don't don't. I think ninety percent of women I know have that's true. Maybe, 10 maybe, maybe they yeah, change. maybe that's me looking at it a different way. Then you're right. It is aspirational to love your body. I don't think a belly bulge is aspirational. But the but the- yes, I understand what you're saying. So they're trying to promote acceptance of your body. The way that they're doing they're it is still by picking is, apart the body. Exactly, is by emulating the exact way that people advertise and fetishize very thin body. Look, it's a complicated issue. <laughs> it's a complicated <laughs> issue. And if seriously, one thing I do want to add though, and I think it's interesting that we were talking about privilege earlier, and me saying I read that thing on Instagram saying privilege is when you don't see something as a problem, is that even though I might be a size eight person myself and I think I have a pretty good understanding of different body types because there's a real smorgasbord of body types in my family I am not looking at these body posy bloggers as someone that really desperately needs a body posy blogger (laughs) 
in their life. Mm. So whilst I can see something as maybe crass or trite or not aspirational, I understand that for someone else it might be the most aspirational thing of all. I just wonder if it has legs and I wonder if it is the answer we have all been waiting for. It certainly has thighs. This episode has taken longer than usual because of the cacophony of building sounds that you have enjoyed throughout the episode. So we don't, we've run out of time uh, for Ask the Hilo this week. So we've just got one quick question and then we promise a much meatier segment next week because we've loved your questions and you've sent some really, really very uh, well thought out and poignant ones in the last couple of weeks and we've really loved reading all of them. You can email us at show at gmail.com. Or tweet us, the Hilo Show. On Twitter. On Twitter. <laughs> um, so, hi, Dolly and Pandora. I love the show and always take on board your reading recommendations. I recently finished Future Sex and I've just started Difficult Women. Ooh. I wondered with your busy lives how you both find time to read as much literature as you do. In this 24-hour, seven-days-a-week world of content, I sometimes find myself a little overwhelmed by how much there is to consume. How do you then balance online and offline reading? And also, do you both have favourite reading spots? Dolly, is yours Hampstead Heath? Keep up <laughs> the amazing work, Jenny. I love that idea of 24-7 world of content. That's Mm, so true. Very true. Um, Well, in all honesty, I manage it by um, kicking other stuff out of your life. So I put my phone on airplane a lot now. You've taught me to do that. Yeah, I typically put it on airplane. If I'm having a night in, I put it on airplane from 9pm and I don't turn it on until... I don't know, it depends when I'm at my desk, 8am, 9am, 10am. Um, I also put it on airplane for about six hours every Sunday. I put it on airplane as much as I physically can. I also take a book in my handbag, so when I'm on the tube, instead of like idly wondering what profession that person has or who that person's married to or, I don't know, what leg that guy hangs down, mm-hmm. I, uh, <laughs> I read my book instead. And I go out less than I used to. Um, I really made a conscious decision that I did not want to be out ideally more than three nights a week so reading is now a more priority. part of my life yeah. yeah what about you what are your I agree with everything you've just said I uh, think that not trying to multitask is the best way of getting through books properly and really focusing on something and getting lost in a narrative or a voice so um, I have to have my phone completely out of my room if I'm reading now Um, you've taught me to put my phone on airplane mode which I think is good because it also means that none of your messages can even come through to you so it just no everyone knows that you're just not contactable for that time Um, I also do as you said I I never get on a, a train I never leave the house without a book um, in my bag I, che- I-, I checked mine in at like this fancy work dinner the other day and someone was like why are you checking your book and I was like because it came with me duh yeah it was like my evening clutch yeah that's what I do um, I read an interview with Clarissa Dixon Wright where she said I never trust anyone who doesn't have a book with them at all times I, it means I don't trust my husband <laughs> but it's true because life there are so many accidental pauses in life where you end up waiting for a bus or sitting in a doctor's waiting room or whatever and then you can like easily just nail a chapter and that's the only way that I get through yeah. the books that I want to get through yeah. is I just have it with me at all times. We have something very exciting happening next week as well. We are introducing a new monthly author segment where an author who we love, who has a new book out, is going to come and talk a little bit about their book and join in with the general conversation. So it is launching next week we have the author Rennie Edo Lodge coming on to talk about her incendiary read. Thank you so much for everyone that listened to this episode. And thank you to Acast for letting us use your studio today. Don't forget to email us at thehiloshow at gmail.com or tweet us at thehiloshow. We will be back with a new episode next Wednesday. Please remember to review us, rate us, subscribe. It gives us a huge boost and we will love you forever. Um, We will see you again next week. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.